0: the zone the prophecy zone your end-time watchman bringing you light in a dark world where truth is rivaled with a lie and the matrix is normal life luke 21 and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity So be ready to enter the light or truth about the end of days, so you will be ready for the coming of the Lord. You are in the zone, the prophecy zone. So join us for the next hour as we look at world events in line with Bible prophecy, so you'll be informed. And be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ.
1: Hi, welcome to As the Day Approaches. My name is Brenda Johnson, and I thank you for joining me this morning. I want to welcome all of you uh, to this show. I have my show is a show that deals with world religions, pseudo Christianity, that would be cults and um, prophecy, and how it all works together. And today we are going to continue our studies on Islam. I kind of uh, went a little bit different direction than I expected to go this week. I wanted to go into the Iranian Revolution and the Islamic Revolution both together. Uh, I feel that it is extremely important to understand what these uh, Islamic revolutions are all about. But I really, after studying, uh, taking a break last week due to some personal um, trials and uh, confrontations last week, I spent time uh, in my study. I realized that I need to continue something before I go into Iran. The title of my show today is is, uh, Islam Program in the USA. Last last time on my show, we talked about Dawah Islam, and most people do not understand or know what Dawah Islam is all about. <clears throat> Dawah I- Islam is what we call uh, evangelism or proclamation, uh, missionary effort to <clears throat> excuse me, introduce the culture to a message. Uh, we as Christians introduced uh, Christianity into cultures and the islamic faith is introduced into every culture or the, the dawah is the way in which they introduce it uh in cultures forgive me as i have a hard time getting going this morning um
0: <clears throat> and i'm
1: uh, just give me a, a bit of time to warm up and we'll get really going into this program because there is so much Interesting on Facebook, uh, those of you who want to join me on Facebook, I have two different sites. I have a personal site uh, under Brenda Johnson. A little bit hard for you to find me under that name since there's so many uh, that have that name I find. I don't ever hear anybody by the name of Brenda until I uh, have to have somebody do a search for my name and then it comes up everywhere, so... I also have a uh, site on Facebook called False Teachings, Identifying Them. And on this site, we talk about uh, world religions, uh, cults. Um, We also talk about uh, uh, the heresies and the problems, false teachings within the church. Also on this site, there are people that actually um, post their false teachings on there, and I identify them. As salts uh it's a very good site for those who really want to learn about different um uh, belief systems and how to confront them. A lot of people actually post their things on there, and there is a lot that people have to offer on that one <clears throat> but on my facebook personal Facebook site, I did a post um as a result of what I've been studying, what I've said is, is <clears throat> excuse me, I believe more today than yesterday that I will die for my faith. I live in the USA. Why would I say this? And those of you who are listening in other con- countries may understand and may be able to, to comprehend what suffering is all about, but us in the United States do not have that. We have been blessed by not uh, having a dictatorship. We have been blessed by the fact that we can share the gospel freely and we have not suffered. Just as the scripture says that uh, pray for your nation that you may be able to live in peace among others and be able to to, uh, spread the gospel. We have all different kinds of access to Information to Christian radio stations to Bibles. You know, I I just went to the Christian bookstore on Friday and found a book a Bible that says a grandmother's Bible. Only in the United States would you find stuff like that. Also, the waterproof Bible, the military Bible. Uh, we have Bibles for everything you can think of. So our freedom here in the United States has been truly free is in regard to our faith. But the more I study Islam, the more I am starting to understand that a time is coming when Islam will do and revolt like it does has in Egypt, has it, as it has in Libya, Iran. Now, these countries are all islamic countries and people think they are safe because of that reason most people do not understand why the islam islam is fighting against islam why are rebels fighting to overthrow their own people their own rulers so people here in the united states do not really understand what is going on there? Nor do we as a people <coughs> excuse me, understand that what is happening there is actually going to soon be here in the United States. We are so disconnected from from Europe, from that, that side of the world that we don't understand that it's actually starting here now. Not, well, let me take that back. A little further than starting here, and today, on this program, I am going to show you, and we're going to talk about Dawa and the Islamic program implemented in the United States of America. It has already been implemented in a lot of facets of our society now, the question people are you know seem to ask or you know, and I know that not even. Some, you know the newscasters they don't understand churches don't understand you know we think that what's happening in the Middle East is that they're throwing off dictators. We think that they're actually getting having democracy. We think that that wow, this is a great thing because these cruel leaders are being thrown off, and now Islam has finally got the point they're 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 throwing off their old islamic dictators and exchanging them for democratic uh leaders this is far from the truth and it only shows how much people do not understand islam what they are doing in egypt libya syria and all the 12 countries that i've mentioned in uh a couple of shows back what they're doing there is throwing off rulers and leaders who do not submit completely to Allah and Islam, who do not follow the Quran as prescribed by the followers of Islam. Hafni Mubarak is not a true Islamic follower. He is seen as someone who is uh, pandering to the West, to capitalism, to the Jews, to Israel. They see him as not a holy Islamic. Uh, They see him as an idolater, someone who needs to be knocked out of power so that they can choose someone who is going to follow the Quran to the fullness of what the Quran says. They have been waiting and working on this in Egypt since the founding of the Muslim Brotherhood in 1928. They have been trying at several different occasions to overthrow governments and put it in the people that they want. Iran had their own revolution with the Ayatollah Khomeini in 1979 and they actually threw off uh, uh, the Shah which his name was Mohammad go figure I mean you know I I was only 13 in well 1979 I was uh Let's see, how old I was in 1965. Yeah, I was 14, 13, 14 years old. And at that time, uh, I only knew him as the Shah. I didn't know he had the name Muhammad. You would think that, you know, someone with the name Muhammad would be, you know, somebody who was dedicated or respected because Muhammad is the name of the prophet and, the, and that is a respectable name. Most kids in in this day and this time have been named Muhammad because they believe in the coming of the twelfth Imam and that the time of the end is coming soon. So <clears throat> the Shah was also one that Iran considered pandering to the West, to in the West, meaning. Us in particular, the United States of America, we are considered the great Satan. And Israel is considered, considered the little Satan. Now, wouldn't it really be a prize if Islam knocked out the great Satan before he knocked out Israel? I have always thought of it differently. I always thought of the opposite way around where uh, Israel might be knocked out first, you know, they're going to go after Israel first because this is what they, they do say this um, and a lot of the the uh, leaders and the imams and the sheiks will say that they're out, they're going to go for the little Satan and they're going to go for the, the great Satan but now I think and I think that they, they have come to the conclusion that they probably can knock out the great Satan first and biblical prophecy says that we will be out of the picture, meaning Israel will be alone without anyone to support them. That means that we are going to be pulled out of the picture in regarding in regards to Israel. Israel will stand alone in the last days and in the time of the end, and God himself will defend her
0: <clears throat>
1: so and with that said, uh. I want to to focus our attention on what has been happening. I'm going to say, what has just happened, but what has been happening for the last two decades here in the United States. Now, 20 years ago, we had a great, um a great. You know, I was a I was a young person. 20 years ago, and it was a prime time where there was a lot of mission missionary effort. There efforts there was a lot of apologetics and confrontations of like the New Age movement, and there's also the false prophecies that you normally see. But 20 years ago, I thought we were we were you know it was an exciting time. It might be partly because of of my age, but back then and then I went into the mission field but since that time we have seen the dwindling of the church and I'm saying that only uh in respect to well not only but in respect to biblical uh understanding of the biblical theology teachings within the church Uh, It's been a long time. You know, when I hear a message on repentance, I actually say, wow, I haven't heard that for a long time. Not realizing that for a long time I haven't heard it until I heard it from the pulpit. We have gone away from what I would consider the pure gospel of Christ into all different kinds of uh, things that have fluffed and weakened us as a body of Christ. This has happened on our front in the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, there's also Islam has also been rising here in the United States, and this is where I tell you all about the dawah of Islam. Now, I'm a missionary. I have a degree, which you know, I humbly state this, state this because. Uh, before I even had this degree, I said, you know what, I am just a small child. I am one who, that I had to confront Catholic priests when I was a teenager because that was my faith and I was trying to understand my own faith. But I humbly said, who am I that I could say anything? Uh, and the scriptures that said that don't, don't you know, uh, let them judge you for your youth." I actually had to stand on those. <clears throat> but the Lord has been good to me, and he has been specific to me, saying that every time I enjoyed my experience with him and I was satisfied with his, my experience with him in relationship with him, uh, he wanted me to go deeper and study of him as well. So he didn't want me just to enjoy his presence and enjoy who he was. He wanted me to know him better and better and better. And so when I would get to the point where I'd just be excited with prayer or excited with talking to him, I never called it prayer because I said, you know, I'm talking to Jesus right now. And I would have dreams and visions and all of these things that, you know, uh, the gift of prophecy, which, which was given to me, I believe, when I was 13 years old, I enjoyed all of that it was exciting i love the books of daniel and revelation way back then even i didn't not when i was 13 but it was around when i was 14 15 16 17 by 17 i left the catholic church but i never imagined that i would go even further into study well now i uh the lord had led me into studying at admissions and bible college i went on the mission field to france And I have a degree in Bible admissions, and uh, my degree actually says cross-cultural studies because we did a lot of that. I really appreciate having that now. I appreciate the studies, and I love studying uh, cultures. I love studying uh, world religions. This is why I can do a show like this is because I uh, love doing doing this. I love debating. I love... uh, bringing up a topic and talking about it. And that's what my show is all about, is bringing up topics that people wouldn't necessarily talk about. And I did a series on the emerging church, which uh, you can go into the archives on Blog Talk Radio and listen to what I say about the emerging church. Uh, I've also studied Jehovah's Witnesses and, you know, all kinds. I'm an apologist, so I love doing that. I studied Islam when I was in my youth, but I never I never studied Islam like I am today. Not only did I not study Islam as I did today, there was not the understanding and the... What do I mean by that? There, there wasn't the activity that there was when I was younger. Now I'm starting to see biblical truth in comparison with Islam, in the opposite way. I am more convinced today that Islam may play a part in the coming world order and the world government in the time of the Antichrist. Uh, I'm going to do a show on Muhammad and the Antichrist, and that's going to be a really exciting show But there are some things I have to say first, and this is only once a week. So I only have like an hour and a half a week to be able to talk about some of this stuff. So one of the missionaries I like a whole lot is uh, Don Richardson. And he wrote a book that I – (coughs) that excuse me – called The Secrets of the Quran. Now, Don Richardson, one of his his, uh, big – what do you call it? <clears throat> Findings are the redemptive analogies. And he wrote the book Peace Child and um, Eternity in Their Hearts. I did not read Eternity in Their Hearts, but I did read Peace Child as I was studying uh, missions. He was uh, a missionary in some tribal pe- people in the, in, in excuse me, He was uh, a missionary, and he had to take uh, some of the stories in the culture and find a redemptive analogy uh, to communicate the gospel. Now, he defines this concept in his books, The Peace Child and Eternity in Their Hearts. Um, And he explained how... Embedded in a culture, there is usually some practice or understanding which can be used to demonstrate the gospel. Finding these, sometimes the unexpected keys, has been called a guerrilla moment. And so that would be anyone in a cultural setting saying, Well, gee, I got something that I can actually communicate with, you know, something I can pass on to them to communicate the gospel. Now, of course, the ideas were not really new. Jesus used the technique all the time in its storytelling the kingdom of god is like many of the prophets used it to preachers down the years now the gospel stories are so familiar to us that we completely overlook the fact that jesus method of communication was totally revolutionary he used he used redemptive analogies within storytelling and and it was it was something close to a street um theater <clears throat> now the concept of redemptive analogies is part of contextualization which is a big word that is presenting the gospel in terms which relate to a particular to a particular culture now in the secrets of the quran and i suggest anybody to get this book he actually speaks about uh islam in light of redemptive analogies and he came up with a very um Interesting conclusion with Islam. He said he asked the question: Could the Quranic redemptive analogy clearly identified serve to turn turn radical Muslims away from terrorism? He wanted to try to find a a uh, redemptive analogy with his Islam. And on his on page 17 and 18 of his book, where I'm reading. He says, I had already gleaned considerable knowledge about the Muslim world before September 11th. Now I had to closely examine Islam's own literary sources. I read multiple translations of the Quran. I also poured over Islam's other body of sacred writing. is called the Hadith and read a shelf full of books to survey the findings of researchers before me. What I discovered shocked me. And this is what I want you to get. Richardson goes on and says, I learned that Islam is unique among non-Christian religions. It stands alone as the only belief system that, due to its very design, frustrates anyone who seeks to use the redemptive analogy approach. Here is what happens. While Muhammad claims the Old and New Testaments were from God, we find that 1400 years ago, the Islamic prophet quite drastically redefined fundamental tenets, including the very concepts of God. And then he gives some examples. And these are the examples. And, (coughs) excuse me, this is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear Exactly what Islam has done from the very beginning with Muhammad. So, this is, he has redefined these things. Judeo Christianity's God keeps his promises. Conversely, quite frequently, Islam's God abrogates or cancels promises made earlier, meaning any of the, the scriptures that are written before, anything that is written before is abrogated or canceled by what is written after. That's why Islam can say that they have the final word and that Muhammad and what he said is the final prophet. Well, the last imam will come in Muhammad's name, per se, as the last caliph. Muhammad... Uh, in, in the Quran it will cancel it, it also also why the Bible is, is cancelled or abrogated by the Quran since the Quran was written later the Quran was written later therefore the Quran stands but even the scriptures in the Quran as they are written later abrogates itself so that's what it means there Richardson goes on and says, he may even contradict his own commands, leaving everything he ever said open to question. Here's another one. A Christian speaks about Jesus who, by his death, atoned for the sin of the world, providing redemption. But Islamic teaching teachings declare that Jesus did not die and rise again. The concept of God requiring an atonement as his legal basis for absolving the guilt is not simply poorly understood in Islam, it is totally denied. And what is strange about that is that when someone does an act of jihad and dies in battle, the shedding of his blood redeems him. Did you hear that? The shedding of the person who dies in jihad, the shedding of his own blood, redeems him and and up to 77 of his family members, I believe is what it says, 70 of his family members. So the honor to die for the sake of Allah in jihad, it's not just to die, but to die by killing the infidels is how they are redeemed. So Jesus and his redemption and his shed blood is totally denied. Now, here's another one that Richard says, Muslim writings accuse Christians of worshiping three gods and teaching that God has intercourse with Mary, causing her to conceive Jesus. And now we know in the scriptures that it says the opposite. opposite. Well, Mary never had intercourse with God. The Holy Spirit came upon her. Another one, Islamic texts. Redefined Judeo-Christianity's heaven in a surprisingly shameful manner, as I explain, explain later. And so he explains that later in the book. <laughs> um, and Jesus' New Testament directive to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's in Matthew 22:21 approves the separation of religion from civil government. Islam, by contrast, binds religion and the state together with iron chains. The more digging I did into the Quran, the more I realized when it comes to Islam the redemptive analogy approach cannot work. Therefore, I had to look at the religion, its founder, and its teachings through a different lens, something antithetical to redemptive analogies. He carefully considered the spectrum of possibilities ranging from the non-offensive, political correct generalization to a harsher full-scale refutation, feeling somewhat like an attorney quizzing an uncooperative witness. I have opted to approach This inquiry, through the lens of interrogation, it could also be called investigative journalism, coupled with the passionate fact-based commentary, drawing primarily upon what Muslims esteem as their most reliable source, the Quran itself. I have sought the truth about the Quran and Muhammad. And then he says in in his book, he goes into what he has found. It's a very interesting book, and I'm not going to go into the book, but what I wanted you to get was that Islam stands unique in all the religions of the world in the fact that there is no redemptive analogy that can actually redeem or show redemption to Islam by using their religion. And redeem them as far as uh, freeing them from terrorist activity. Now, I will say in my studies and being a missionary, when I study Dawah Islam, I feel like, well, you know, I really don't go much by my feelings because I'm quite logical and skeptical in my behavior, but I read it and it sounds like to me that I am reading some missionary books, how they are uh, <coughs> developing teams, how they're working in the community, social programs, a whole gamut of things that, that we learned actually in mission school is what they're implementing. We know we live in the last days. And in um, Mark, we find Mark 12:5 to 25, I believe. We we all are now actually 34. We all are familiar with this, the signs of the ed, end of the age, and how the disciples asked Jesus as for what you know when the building and the temple was going to be destroyed. And he told us signs to look for. They said, teacher, teacher they asked, what will be the thi- these things, when will these things happen and what will be the sign they are about to take place? He replied, he, he replied, watch out that you do not be deceived. In Matthew 24, it says this as well. Watch out so that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he, and this and and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will will lay hands on you and persecute you. And some people think that this is actually... In this time, before all this happens, this actually, he's talking to the disciples and when you hear that in context, he's saying, but before the end does come and before all these things are about to happen, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what's going to happen to you. They will per- persecute you, they will deliver you into the synagogues and pr- prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors all on the account of my name. This will result in your being a witness to them. And we see that with Paul. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish by standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. And this is for us. Not that we are not going to be persecuted. We are. But he is talking to the disciples. And if you look at this in context, he is saying, but before all this happens, you are going to be persecuted. You are going to be you, you, the enemy is going to come against you and it's going to try to s- destroy this new found, found, foundling church, this new baby church. And it's going to come against you in such a way that it's going to destroy you. You're going to have <clears throat> brothers and parents and relatives and friends betray you. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who... Are in Judea, flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and those in the country not enter the city. And they applied this when they, when the in the fall of Jerusalem. It also can be applied to the last days as well. For this is the time of punishment, and fulfillment to all that is written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers! There will be great distress in the land, and wrath against. This people, they will will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So some commentaries believe that that was the fall of Jerusalem and that by, you know, until the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. On earth, nations will be in anguish and, uh, <clears throat> and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint with terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. So the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in, the, in, in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, I'm not going to go into a commentary of all of this, but I want you to hear This. Of course, we know we're familiar with look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know the summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful. For your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the the whole earth. Be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Be encouraged. What I wanted you to get out of that is, you know, and especially for those of you who are in the United States, I think we are living in a time that we need to be so watchful. Deception is so rampant right now. And also uh, we are actually asleep, I believe. We do not understand our enemy. We do not understand what is approaching us. We do not know. We are not watching like we are supposed to watch. Because we are being distracted weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and anxieties of life. We are being weighed down by these things and we can't even see what is coming upon us. And it says, that it, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. That day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. I want you to understand this enemy. And Islam is an enemy. In our country, Islam is appearing to be a religion of peace. We hear cries that Islam is peaceful, that these are good people, <clears throat> that Islam is not threatening And then we look over in Iran and we look at the Middle East and we look at Sudan and we wonder, well, that's over there. That's not here. But it is here. In the United States, Islam is making a great effort to build this revolution. For though we live in the world, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine a power to dis- demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We may believe certain things, but we need to take captive what we're thinking. We need to understand and know. We need to apply ourselves in this day and time. Now, let me tell you, Islam versus Christianity. Islam is masquerading itself as a true faith. It says that, one, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, peace be upon all of them, are all <clears throat> All are the prophets of Islam. The fundamentals of their teachings were the same. This is from their manual. I have in front of me a manual called the Dawah Program. And this Dawah Program manual by Shamim Asaqid <clears throat> Zadiki, Zadiki, remember that name, Zadiki, wrote a manual. I only have a piece of it, and it's a hundred and uh, over a hundred pages. That's just a piece of the manual. And the implementation of Dawah, trying to get it going, trying to to organize communities, trying to organize the programs in order to teach and 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 do evangelism of Islam. <clears throat> This book that I have in front of me was written in 1992. And you'll have to hear some of the things in here. It claims that we as Christians misunderstand them. That we as Christians distort their beliefs. I strongly recommend that you go directly to their books to understand them. Go directly to what they're saying. And this is what I'm doing today, going directly, so what I'm reading to you to what i'm you know going to point out what i'm going to say i'm going to read pieces from some of this manual. Here is one of those things: Muslims will create the opportunity to invite scholars and religious personalities of different religions to speak on of the life on the life and teachings of these prophets of Islam, meaning Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. Muslim scholars will put the correct teachings and life history of each prophet as presented by the Quran. So if you heard what I'm saying, it said that we're going to talk about all these subjects, all these people, but we're going to put the correct teachings. Also says the Quran has disguised, discussed and corrected the teachings of all these prophets that were changed by their followers. Then, they think that Christians have changed the Bible. They believe that that we have changed what God said and God, God said what Allah said. That Allah actually was the founder of the Bible, but we changed it all to make it agree with what we say. It also says the Quran has discussed and corrected the teachings of all these prophets and were cha- changed by the followers. It also says Rasul. Rasulullah, which is another name, it means apostle, but when they say Rasulullah, they are actually talking about Muhammad because he is the apostle, was extremely tolerant towards Jews, Christians, and the motherfucking, the hypocrites, and we have to follow his footprints if we claim that we are his followers says that they're extremely tolerant, but if you read the Quran, the Quran is not tolerant of Christians and Jews. The Quran will destroy all those hypocrites. He they will they will kill all the idol worshipers. That would be um the ones who follow Hinduism. They will give Christians and Jews the opportunity to repent of their beliefs, to reject Jesus as the Son of God, to reject their beliefs and pay a tax and submit to Islam. By paying this tax, by paying this fee, they actually buy their salve- their, their life back. They will not be killed if they can pay their taxes to Islam <clears throat> and submit to islam as over christianity over their own belief even if they disagree with it so if you look at is islam you have to see that we do not wage world war as the world does we are not fighting against princip- you know the people principalities and powers of the the earth we are fighting the unseen uh leaders, the unseen uh powers in the heavens that these Excuse me. I think I might have been on mute for a while. What I'm reading out of and discussing here is Inside the Revolution: How the Followers of Jihad, Jefferson, and Jesus Are Battling to Dominate the Middle East and Transform the World. It says. Uh, fight against those among the people of the book who do not believe God in the last day until you, they pay the uh, tax of protection and exemption from military service with a willing hand in a in a state of submission. And those Jews say Ezra is God's son and the Christians say the Messiah is God's son. May God destroy them. Surah 929 through 30. For those who disbelieve, garments of fire are certain to be cut out for them, with boiling water being poured down over their heads, with which all that is within their bodies as well as their skins is melted away. Surah 2219 through 20. Pay no heed to the desires of the unbelievers, but engage in a mighty striving against them. Sura 2552. When you meet those who disbelieve in war, smite them at their necks, Sura uh, 47.4. Now, that is quite interesting because the very ones that they say are uh, having a oneness with them are the very ones that don't believe in war. The emerging church and the ecumen- ecumenical movement believe in peace at all costs, but th- that war is not acceptable. But what do they say about those particular people? Uh, it says, uh, when you meet those who disbelieve in war, smite them at their necks. Cut their heads off. Regarding enemies, God only forbids you to take them for friends and guardians. Whoever takes them for friends and guardians, those are the wrongdoers. So those who take friends, uh, those who take... <coughs> Uh, their enemies as friends, which any incident is considered an enemy, then they are just as bad as the wrongdoers. At Surah 69. Oh, prophets, strive hard against the unbelievers and the hypocrites, and be stern against them. Their final refuge is hell. Surah 66.9. Now, the Quran is adamant about certain things. The violence is good. Jews and Christians are cursed and not supposed to be helped or saved or befriended. Actually, Jews and Christians are to be killed whenever and wherever Muslims find them because they are loathsome, filled with evil and destined for hell. Infidels can and sometimes should be crucified, beheaded, have their hands and feet cut off or tortured in all manners of of ways. So now, what what is happening? Now that sounds really extreme. It really does sound extreme. And in in our country, we don't think we uh, that it exists here, but it does. In a different form of jihad, right now, what's happening is a lesser jihad. There is actually a debate whether lesser jihad is in, in, inner struggle, or greater jihad is inner struggle. Uh, the Arab Muslims, the ones you find in the Middle East, who are actually um, causing revolutions—the Muslim Brotherhood, Al Qaeda, um, Hezbollah—those they would consider greater jihad, uh, warring against those, it, warring against the infidels. It's not inner struggle; the inner struggle comes first, and they consider that lesser jihad because of the—it's more quiet, it's more subdued. And what has happened in the last two decades here in the United States is what is called the Lesser Jihad. We have had an influx of of uh, Islamic teaching and preparing and outreach for groups and communities to reach up and stand up for Islam. Our time for revolution is coming. Right now in Europe, you see rumblings of revolution, and you see if you've heard on some of the uh, shows. I, I know there's a YouTube show that talks about um, there are communities in England and France and different countries in Europe that actually are very difficult to go to, that even the police do not like to go to because if they they do that they're they are stoned or or something terrible happens to them. These communities were once what it's saying here in the United States as uh, as UMA, uh, which is U-M-M-A, sometimes it's spelled M-U-M-M-A-H. The difference between UMA and UMA with an H is that UMA means Muslim (coughs) community, while UMA with an H Means a more national outreach of community. Means so more of a nation than does the local community. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start going into this um, this Dalwa program manual, and I'm gonna give you a taste of it. I don't know how far I'll get with this, but I I want you to understand and know what. Is actually happening here in the United States. As every Muslim knows or ought to know that the preaching and propagation of Islam is the quintessence of the Islamic movement. Allah says, O prophet, proclaim the message that has been revealed unto thee from the Lord. For if thou do it, thou would not have fulfilled the mission. This is out of the Quran, 5.56. This is, I'm actually going to actually read to you the foreword and the preface. It's going to give you a really good idea about what is being taught here. And then I'm going to go through and and show you a few things about what it says and points out. The very purpose for which Rasulullah, which is the apostle, the prophet Muhammad, was sent was to establish Allah's deen by calling mankind to the worship and the guidance of Allah in the form of the Quran, the last divine revelation. And sunnah, the example of Rasulullah. So, so when I quoted some of the sunnah passages, that is the example of the apostle, the prophet <clears throat> Muhammad. What deen means, deen is actually uh, means to... Uh, subjugate your whole entire being to the laws of Islam. To integrate socially, emotionally, economically, physically, everything, and that is to subjugate it to Islam. So they'll use "Deen" and "in Allah" together, and "Islam" together. Islam is actually an ideology in which they follow, and and. And Dean is actually subjugating yourself, uh, you know, being submissive to that which you are learning. (laughs) The early Muslims, namely the Sahaba and those who followed them from generation to generation, not only understood the message and the mission, but also practically carried it out to its fullest extent, undaunted by them. Multifarious obstacles, hardships, and adversities that await them, their success culminated into the Islamic society' state, civilization and ultimately the leadership of the then known then known world that that then known world was Islamic domination. One may ask what propelled these early followers of Islam to accomplish so much so fast. And with so little, certainly it was their undying faith and loyalty to the cause of mission, of the mission. But in addition to that, it was the spiritual, psychological, moral, and physical discipline, which they call the tar- tarbiya and the tazikya, and prepared them to be suitable for such a noble and awesome task. And this is... This was posted on February
0: 20th,
1: 1921. <clears throat> in the name of Allah, the benefit, beneficent and merciful. They always say that before they say, they talk about him. The book, the Dara program towards establishing the kingdom of Allah is in your hand. That's just this very thing that I'm reading, that I, that, that I have in front of me, that I'm looking at and sharing with you. But before you go through it, it is essential that I must discuss, and this is Siddiqui saying this, the perspective both of the Muslim world and the contemporary geopolitical world situation through which the Muslim Ummah is passing, Ummah with an H, nation. A clear overview will enable you to grasp the gravity of the situation, realize the importance of the program, and resolve to act upon with with the seriousness that it demands from each of us for making a concerted effort towards its accomplishment. Number one, the Islamic is a deen, which is a way of life not a religion as the West mostly understands it. It is an ideology, a code of conduct that governs the entire spectrum of human life, both individual and collective, from birth to death. It regulates all of the aspects of human life, personal and private, social and cultural, economic and political, war and peace, trade and commerce, human rights and obligations, national and internal affairs, moral and spiritual bonds. Nothing lies beyond its domain. Allah has termed this deen as Islam, total submission to Allah. It says in Quran 319, lo, the deen with Allah is Islam, the surrender to his will and guidance. Our Kalimah, la, ilala, ilala, is a commitment between the believer and his creator, Allah the moment the Creator Allah the moment a man or woman enters the faith of Islam by reciting the Shahada, he or she gets into a deal with Allah that whatever he or she possesses, time, energy, talents, and resources belong to him. When he or she becomes cognizant of this fact, he or she becomes a twenty four hours a day servant of Allah. Now, that kind of sounds like we, what we're called to be as Christians. So it kind of mirrors some of what we're supposed to be. But deception is that way. Deception sounds like it's true, but then in in the end is not.
0: <clears throat>
1: he or she is now committed to use his or her time and resources only for the pleasure of Allah and struggles to have his authority and deen established in in this world. He struggles to have his authority and his deen. In this world, this commitment demands that he or she must surrender and enter into the deen of Allah in its entirety. Not partially, not even a 99.99% recurring, but not 100%. If such submission is missing, the surrender to Allah is not complete. It amounts to a violation of the covenant. The consequences will then be painful, both in this world, both in this world and the hereafter. The verdict of the Quran is very clear and binding in this respect. Lo Allah have brought uh, from the believers their lives. And their wealth, because the guarding will be theirs. They shall fight in the way of Allah and shall slay and be slain. Did you hear that? They shall fight in the way of Allah and slay and be slain. This is actually their program. This is this is the the peaceful side of Islam being implemented into our society. In the end, this is what they're going to that they're commanded to do. They're commanded to give all. It is a promise that is binding on him in the Torah and the Gospel and the Quran. Now tell me where it says that in the Torah and the Quran and the Gospel that they shall fight in the way of Allah and shall slay and be slain. Now the Torah had where God went to conquer the land and they they actually destroyed nations as they were going into those those nations, and God commanded them to do so. But uh, to slay and be slain is not something that is in the gospel. They think it that we've changed it. It is a promise that is binding on him in the Torah and the gospel and the Quran. Who fulfilleth his covenant after that, that better than Allah? Rejoice then in your bargain that ye made, for that is the supreme triumph. That's in Quran 9 11, 11 um, 111. O ye who believe, come all of you into submission unto him and follow not the footsteps of the devil, though he is an open enemy for you. The Quran 2 208. Believe ye in part of the scripture and disbelieve ye in part thereof. And what is the reward of those who do save? Ign- Nominee In the life of the world and on the day of resurrection they will be confined to the most grievous doom for Allah is not unaware of what ye do. Quran 285. Today we are Muslims for namesake only and following Islam just partially. We are contented with our current miserable fate and particularly doing very little or nothing to extricate ourselves from the lamentable situation. We are not making any any genuine effort to get to the Deen of Allah established anywhere on the surface of this earth. Now three, consider this glorious commitment of the Muslims with Allah. We hardly imagine the gravity of the situation when we realize that though there are now fifty two Muslim countries in the world, Allah's Deen is nowhere dominant. Muslims today constitute about one fifth of the world's population, but nowhere does Islam control the destiny of the Muslim people, this is the greatest tragedy of the Muslim Ummah. As a result, most Muslims and the human society at large are suffering untold miseries in every walk of life. The tragedy that Islam is nowhere in a dominant position in the world is the, the legacy of our past. The institution of Caliph, the Caliphate, was abolished by the secular regime of Mustafa, Kemal Pasha and the so-called modern, modern Turkey in 1924. Since then, 78 years have passed, but Muslims have not been able to restore it. The entire West, especially Britain, France, and America, have conspired to act unitedly at least at one point to see that Islam does not emerge as a political entity or a force in a dominant position anywhere in the Muslim world. Now, they're talking about the Muslim world, but this is an implementation of Islam here in the United States. The secular West always conspires with the so called Muslim regimes, and that is talking about Egypt, Syria, Iran, Morocco, those who, and and Saudi, the Saudi king, uh, the Shah. The secular West always conspires with the so-called Muslim regime's terms. These movements as fundamentalist radicals, reactionaries, and sometimes now very often calling them as terrorists and poisons the opinion of the masses both in their own and in the Muslim countries. So what we're saying is that calling them fundamentalists, radicalists, reactionaries, and terrorists are damaging. that It's not true. It's damaging their image when it's really their actions that are de- that are defining their image. Every one of us living in America and elsewhere in the world must give serious thoughts to these questions and decide what part he or she can play in correcting this this deplorable condition of the Ummah. The revival of the Muslim Ummah nation, with an H, or the re- or the restoration of the Caliphate, or the establishment of Allah's Deen on Earth, or the emergence of the Islamic State anywhere in the world, one can select any of these phrases which he or she likes best, will be possibly possible only if we follow the way, the way Rasulullah did to establish the kingdom of Allah in his lifetime. He and his beloved companion struggled hard for 23 years and endured extreme sacrifices to make Allah's deen dominant. Rasulallah demonstrated to the Muslim Ummah the process through which it can gain establish by following his ways meticulously in today's world. So they're going all the way back to Muhammad. So you got to, just as Don Richardson says, you have to study, kind of do an interrogative study of the prophet Muhammad to understand what Islam is all about because they, the Islamic people today are crying out, and the leaders are saying, we need to follow him. We need to go back to the beginning, and we need to follow him and establish what he did. Do what he did. And he endured for 23 years. And you know what he did? He tried to go to the Jews to get accepted as the prophet from sent by God, and the Jews would not receive him. And then you know what he did? He went back to that city that did not receive him and destroyed the whole entire city and killed everybody in it. That was his beginning. I encourage you to do a study, a true study of what Muhammad was all about. His, his dawah, ilala, was not an end in itself. He called the people to the fold of Allah. He gave them a kalma, la, ilala, illa. That was the political slogan of the time, which that slogan means. Let me find my paper on this one. Hold on a second. That is actually the the statement of there is no god but Allah. If if I can find it, we'll see. Here, okay. There's a really good page on this. It says the phrase La ilaha illa Huwa Huwa. I can't even say these words, and it's very rare that they have a place that actually says them. So if anybody wants to email me um, on that, about how to say it, that would be good. It's written in Arabic as, and it shows the Arabic. And it's been translated into English as, there is no God but he. There is no God save him. There is no God but he. There is no God but him. There is no deity save him. There is nothing to worship or adore other than that one. Another similar phrase used a few times in the Quran is La ilaha illa ana, which appears, for example, in the surah. And it says, Verily I am Allah, there is no God but I. To, so serve thou me only and establish regular prayer for celebrating my praise. The word ana is a first person singular pronoun, generally translated in English using either the pronoun I or me. The phrase La, ila, la, ha, ila, ana has been translated in, into English as there is no God but I. There is no God save me. There is no God but I. There is none worthy of worship but me. There is no deity save me. So we get the picture of what that actually means. <clears throat> oh, say, say, oh people, la, ila, la, ila, la you will be benefited. You will be the master of the Arab and dominate the ajam, non-Arab world. Listen to this carefully. You will be the master of Arab and dominate the ajam, which is the non-Arab world. And when you are a believer, have imam, you will be the king in heavens. And this was one of the current prophets of today. Malana... Madhudi. Well, actually, he he is now dead, but he he was one, I believe, if I'm not being confused. Tarabah, Tabariyah, and Tazikiyah training and modeling them through purification of character is very important in in Islam, and that is actually the lesser jihad of the inner struggle that we hear. Thinking that that's exactly what jihad means. Rashulallah himself demonstrated how to struggle for the establishment of Allah's deen on earth. He laid down the process through which the Islamic movement was to proceed and progress for the achievement of its goals. He earmarked the stages from which the Islamic movement was to proceed and progress for the achievement of its goals. He earmarked the stages through which which the movement should pass. These stages are crystal clear for us to follow. They can be described as Dawa, organization, Tarabaya, Tavikya, training and purification, peaceful resistance, Hijra, migration, and Ketel, armed conflict. The final phase of the encounter with the forces of Batil, evildoers, This is a continuous process. Dawah il Allah is the beginning. The cultivating point is the establishment of Allah's deen. And that is, uh, you know, uh, Allah's deen is one who will serve Allah. Dawah il -il Allah is not an end in itself, as many Muslims have misconstrued. Dawa is the first step. It must be carried out to its logical conclusion. It will end only when Allah's deen becomes dominant on this earth in its totality and the forces of kafir and shirk. Disbelievers and idolaters are subservient to it. This was the mission of the Prophet Muhammad. He and his companions did it in their lifetime. We are now to do it as an obligation in our lifetimes, the Quran has emphasized this mission of Rasulullah in Chep, okay? He, is, he, it is, who has sent his messenger with guidance and the religion of truth that he may make it to conquer of all religion, however, much the idolatries may be adverse. That's quoted out of the Quran 61.9 and nine thirty three. Now if the Muslims of America are really interested as they ought to be, the restoration of the caliphate or the establishment of Allah's Deen in this society, they have no choice but to follow the footprints of of Prophet of the Prophet Muhammad. They will have to take up the task in earnestness. This is no shortcut in there. There is no shortcut in Islam. The Dawah program presented in the following pages, which I encourage you to look it up, has been prepared, keeping in view the process laid down by Rasulullah. At present, we can envision only the first four stages of Dawa Ilala, the Dawah, the organization, the Tarbiyah, the Tazkiyah, and the peaceful resistance that the Da'i the servant of Islam, must always be prepared to face in this society of modern jahaliyah or ignorance. The final outcome will depend on the quality of Islamic workers, the team of dedicated and devoted dayi. It will crystallize and become distinct in due course of time. It will depend on the quantum of efforts, the amount of sacrifice, which the Muslim Ummah of America will make in the path of Allah, the practical wisdom of Islamic leadership to make the best use of available talents and resources, the consolidation of the strength of the Muslim Ummah under the Islamic movement of America, the response of the people of the land, the intensity of the demand in the masses for the last guidance, and last but not least, the, the will of Nusra, help of Allah, which is of a paramount importance, and a da'i must always pray for it. The dāwah program is to be studied with the approach that Muslims are to be reborn as an ummah by trotting the path laid down by our beloved prophet. The American Muslims are an integral part of the Muslim ummah. They are better placed in life, both educationally and politically in comparison to the Muslim world. They possess the resources both of manpower and material. They can play a dominant role in getting the fate of the Ummah revived. The only thing they need is the vision and the will to do so. It is the task of the Muslim leaders of America to inspire them especially the youth, to rise to the occasion and grasp the opportunity that Allah has provided them with, to be the Muslims of America at a very crucial time when the nation is destined to play a dominant role in shaping the destiny of <clears throat> of mankind as the only superpower for some time to come. Time waits for no one, nobody. Today is the right moment for action and consolidation of efforts. Tomorrow will be too late. Let each of us play this or his or her part with utmost sincerity and sacrifice of time and resources in the way of Allah and get the fate of the sick Ummah nation of Islam revived within the next two decades or so. Now keep in mind, this, Program Manual was written in 1992. Hmm. Two decades, 10, 10, 20 years. That would be, huh, 2012. We are at that two-decade point. And now they have worked for 20 years now to establish, to to infiltrate the United States, to inspire, to make uh, on fire all of the Muslims in America. They especially wanted to go after the youth because they believe the youth are their their future. And also, they went after the moderate or the uh, what we call the nominal Muslims, and they call them nominal Muslims. They went to teach them correctly. They went after them as well, because in the end, those nominal Muslims, the ones that proclaim peace and do not uh, give everything they have to to Allah, um, will actually harm them in, in the long run if they do not try to grab a hold of them and, and take them with them. Allah's help is waiting for us. May Allah give us courage and determination to fight in his way for the deen. This book is nothing but a humble effort on my part and on the part of the leadership of the Muslim community towards the fulfillment of the most cherished desire of our life, i.e., to envision how to get the deen of Allah, the kingdom of God, established in this country The vision is now in your hands in the form of a realistic program, practical projects, and feasible targets to achieve within the reasonable time schedule. In the I believe I have completed the task assigned to me to the best of my knowledge and understanding of the deen of Allah from the Quran and the life of the Prophet Muhammad, it is now the responsibility of the Muslim leadership to get it implemented and carried out to its successful end. I praise to Allah for su- success with assurance to the Muslim community of America, to work for it to devotedly and wholeheartedly until my last breath. I equally hope and expect from the active leadership of the Muslim Ummah to implement the program with a zeal of commitment to Allah as an integral part of, of Iman. I am more than sure it will be forthcoming in abundance in the shape of cooperation, financial help, volunteers, youth for the training of DAI, technical know how and the Dawa expertise in order to render the program more and more effective, productive and universal, the Dawa program has been established the Dawa program has been promoting as we twenty years ago were at our peak in Christianity, going on missions uh uh reaching out wholeheartedly in the community. We were strong then. At the same time, the enemy is distracting us since then. The word of faith movement, the ecumenical movement, the the uh, other kinds of material, material distractions, the speed of time. The church is actually losing its way it's falling under deception. It doesn't know how to defend what it believes. And Islam, all the while, is building their base, building their Ummah. Now, I want to tell you something. Ahmadinejad, not Ahmadinejad, Osama bin Laden was once a very shy Person, he actually uh, was inspired by someone to start getting involved. He was he was uh, a mis- had a lot of misfortune where his dad divorced his mother and uh, had no help from the father, so he was ousted out of the family of all the brothers and sisters that his father had. Many, many hundreds, and he was not any anything that was attractive in school um but he ran into someone who did dawa islam, and he was inspired he was he was re- revolutionized, and they're doing that. And they've been doing it here. What happened in Iran, and we're going to talk about this next week, is that when the Shah was ousted out of the empire and the Ayatollah Khomeini came in, the structure was totally transformed within a, a month, a few days, a few weeks. I, I can't remember. But I'll say it again next week as I remind myself. But Sharia was in, implemented quickly so quickly that it was it was shocked the west it shocked Russia it it surprised everybody how quickly this different um perspective and laws and 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 the country changed just like that under sharia well i can i can think that can happen here my name is Brenda Johnson, and I thank you for joining me, and I hope to see you next week or here, you know, uh, have you join me next week as we are going to start focusing on the Iran Iran, and the, the revolution. I will probably do it in two parts uh, because I really want to focus on this. This is very pivotal, the Islamic revolution, to what is happening now today in Islam and for the last days because... The Imam, the last Imam, is predicted to come. And it was Iran who feels that they are actually the Prophet uh, that is coming before him to set his way straight. If you would like to get a hold of me, my name is Brenda Johnson, um, kbs.johnson at at mchsi.com. That is actually my, is going to be an old address by next week. I have a new one coming up. So uh, I thank you for joining me and I hope you have a good day. Bye bye.